Hi, and welcome to the Healing After Birth podcast. This is Jennifer Sommerfeld, your host, author and creator of the Healing After Birth program. In today's episode, I interview Sherry Rothwell, a registered holistic nutritionist with a focus on children's and women's health during the childbearing years. Sherry blends her background in natural childbirth with 20 plus years in the natural health field to empower women to reclaim their role as a wise woman healer of the family. She holds certificates from the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition, the Edison Institute, and the Matrona School of Midwifery. She's developed a keen interest in digestive issues after healing her son of food sensitivities and severe eczema without drugs or supplements. Sherry loves to help women overcome infertility challenges, have a healthy pregnancy, talk about ecstatic birth, rejuvenating postpartum experiences, and overcome the hormonal imbalances that make it challenging to overcome the after-baby weight. You can learn more about Sherry and her work at www.nutritionwisdom.ca. I'd like to begin and welcome Sherry to our episode on nourishment in the postpartum. Friends for as long as we've had babies, we've known each other for a really long time. And both Sherry and I have kind of um, worked together and we've ventured our own ways and we've continued to follow our passion. And um, I thought it'd be really appropriate to have Sherry on the podcast to talk specifically about nourishment in the postpartum and Sherry has a background as a uh, registered holistic nutritionist and I know this is a big passion of hers in terms of family health mama health even back in the day Sherry you wrote a little ebook I'm wondering if that is even Mm -hmm. still available yeah actually it's called nurturing the new family and it's available actually as a free download I can give you the link after the talk if you want and you can share it with people and you can literally just read it from your desktop Awesome. Yeah, let's put it, let's definitely add that link to this podcast for people to access. Yeah, Um, and one of the things that's really good about it is that it's not just the food aspect, but it's looking at nourishing the whole experience of postpartum. Mm -hmm. Well, why don't we start right there? What does nourishment in the postpartum mean for you? Yeah, so there's, you know, the two sides of it, right? There's the food, what you're taking into your body, and then there's the other aspect of it's the spiritual side of things the, uh, you know, the soulful aspect of giving birth is that you're literally bringing a soul to the planet. And there's so much that goes into that on an emotional level for women that actually, you know, we can talk about food and there is that aspect of nutrition missing for a lot of women, but what seems to be missing on a grander scale in especially North American culture is that soul nourishment of being connected to a community and having that um, that aftercare experience where people are coming together to support you when you've gone through this life transition, this rite of passage, there's a spiritual element to it. That's, that's really, I think what's missing for everyone. Hmm. Yeah. It's making me, um, recall actually Sherry, when I gave birth to my second Shay, um, that's when Sherry and I met and, Hmm. um, uh, Sherry and her friend Heather actually came to my house 
quite in the immediate postpartum. And it was the very first time I had ever experienced what it was like to have a community of moms taking care of my my needs. And mm-hmm. I remember feeling how hard it was to receive that kind of attention. Um, right. both, both of you came in and you cooked a beautiful meal and I had to just sit there and just sitting there and allowing myself to be tended to was a really hard experience for me, which I could imagine is also relatable to so many moms, especially today. I'm noticing that it's just things are speeding up and with this constant um, need and drive to pick up our phones and to scroll our social media, um, which we didn't have back then. Right. (laughs) You know, I would imagine it would be even harder to just sit in that space of being nourished and cared for by, you know, your friends and family. Yeah. To be honest with you, I never thought of that element because yeah, actually when we had our babies, like we both, you have an 18 year old, I have a 17 year old it was a totally different time. There was, Mm -hmm. you know, a piece that happened just because you were, well, I mean, this isn't exactly positive, but in a sense, you're alone after you give birth. And at least there's the silence. Mm -hmm. And now we don't even have that nourishment of silence after the Mm -hmm. birth. Um, And of course, you were also an integral part of my experience um, having my daughter, Jasmine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, Jen and our friend Kat came after the birth and did things like moxibustion and massage and all of our community coming together, cooked food for me and brought it over. And that was, you know, it was, a, and actually a, a, that story is in the ebook that we talked about the difference between the birth that I had with um, Isaiah, my first child versus mm. the experience I had with Jasmine in the postpartum mm. was so different. They were both home births. Um, but with my first experience with Isaiah, I had, um, only one friend who had had a baby and that was Heather and she just had a baby. Um, the lady that you talked about that, um, came with me to your house and, um, it, like my mom came after the birth, but she didn't actually know how to nurture me. Like she, she thought helping me was to just clean my house. And Mm -hmm. after that birth, I had torn. And my midwives were like, well, we can suture you or we can just let you heal on your own if you just want to lie down for the week, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, I wasn't really thinking about what that would entail. And um, at the time, because my mom didn't know that, I was like, she came and cleaned, but I was starving. Like the first week postpartum, I was literally starving. My -hmm. husband had um, cut up some fruit for me every day before he left for work. And that's it, which is Mm -hmm. pretty much the worst food that I could have been eating at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, like the fact that our own mothers have Mm -hmm. forgotten, they weren't nourished or nurtured in their experience. And so they didn't get that modeling. And so Mm -hmm. they don't even know. And we're so disconnected from our instincts in this society. It's ridiculous. Like as you know, it it would be like, why wouldn't you know as just as a woman's like nurturing qualities, why would we not know that somebody who's just given birth, who is lying down on a bed, who's not supposed to be getting up, that somebody needs to bring them food. How mm. can we don't know that as an extended family, extended community? And part of that is because we've given every single time we go into a vulnerable position in this society, if we're mentally ill, if we're physically ill, if we're pregnant and have just given birth, we automatically, our relatives literally hand us over to experts to take mm. care of us. Mm. And then all of that gets missed, right? 
mm-hmm. the part where we're supposed to be contributing to one another. We don't, we don't even seem to know to do. And I feel like, you know, the experience that we had um, together in our community, Jen, is so unique. And it's amazing to me that, you know, we had it, you know, 15, 20, in the last 20 years. And I'm not sure how much has changed mm-hmm. in this society around that. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the greatest challenges that I hear moms speak about when they're working with me privately, mm-hmm. um, you know, is this idea of isolation. Yeah. And now being coupled with isolation is uh, at least I have my phone. Right. And um, this, this access to social media, which I think is a real prevalent reality and concern, yeah. is it gives us the illusion that we're no longer isolated. And so what I'm curious about, is, and you know, I don't have the answers to this, but yeah. I'm, I'm curious to, uh, to um, understand that in those moments where we can reach to scroll and, and for a, a split second, we feel like we're connected, that we're actually deadening and quieting something even more um, like shoving something even more deeper inside of ourselves, mm-hmm. which is craving to be nourished. So we may not even um, reach out in the ways that, you know, we would have picked up the phone in the past and, and right. had, had somebody come over to our house. We don't have to ask them to come over to our house because they're on our phone. Right. Oh, yeah. It's like some sort of like, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a, virtual, a virtual experience. It's not real. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, um, it's filling a void, but it's actually, it's like the hungry ghost. It's actually not filling it with anything of substance. Yeah, it's getting emptier and emptier. That's right. As we, and, and we don't even know that it's getting emptier because we think we're getting that, like you said, like a drug, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's basically that is, it's just... Um, pushing things down. It's repressing it more. Mm -hmm. And then it has to, you know, rear its ugly head. Mm -hmm. I'm curious Mm -hmm. about how, you know, this is affecting um, postpartum women Mm -hmm. in terms of postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And, and sleep. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The quality of one's sleeping and, you know, around all this electromagnetic frequencies Mm -hmm. and having the blue light in your face as you're supposed to be, you know, resting. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to just kind of bringing us back to the beginning, which was the question of what does nourishment mean for you from your perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it does, it does include physical nourishment. It's like the fact that we are a, you know, a body, a mind and a soul means that we actually have to address those parts with what they need for nourishment. So I know some people um, get really into the physical side of things and, you know, believe that, you know, it's just food. If you want to be healthy, you got to, you know, eat perfectly. And if you eat perfectly, then everything's going to go perfect. Um, and then I, you know, not, there's other people on the other perspective, they think it's all just energy. And, you know, as long mm-hmm. as I just do my energy work and my Reiki and all these different things, then I'm going to be perfectly healthy. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that neither of those things on their own, you know, that's, it's only part of the truth and that we have to actually address fully all the aspects of ourselves so for me, like the soul, the soul nourishment for a woman who has just given birth is that community, is that connection, is being, um, you know, in, in our culture, we maybe use the word pampered, 
Hmm. Actually having people, you know, think of them and, you know, give them special attention because they just did something really special. They literally uh, put their, in, their own life at risk to give birth to another soul on this planet. And I think that, you know, our culture just, it minimizes the significance of what women do and their partners as well minimize the impact of what they're doing. Um, you know, we can branch on to that uh, conversation as well. Um, you know, it's, it's not just the extended family. It's like, does, does the partner connect in with the woman during the pregnancy? The, the, as, the, as the father of the baby, is there, you know, connection between the, the two? Is the mother getting nourished on the soul level? Is she getting the grounding energy that she needs from her partner to actually be able to completely relax and open to the birth experience and feel protected? Mm-hmm. Right? Are all those things in place for the, the soul nourishment? On the physical level, we're looking at, well, what do we need to experience health in the postpartum? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of it is about our, our feeling and our mood and being rebuilt, rebuilt, essentially, because we are, when we give birth, we're breaking down in the birth process. Um, it takes a lot of resources to uh, be pregnant and so it's almost like you've gone through, you know, some sort of, well, we've talked about this a lot, Jen. I remember talking about getting prepared for birth is like getting prepared to be an athlete, mm. right? It's a, it's, a, it's a big thing that your body has to go through. Mm-hmm. So after, like once, you know, say, for example, if you work out, then you need that rest time and rejuvenation time and that extra nourishment to rebuild yourself. And that's one of the places where, you know, women don't, necessarily nourish themselves properly they oftentimes especially in mainstream culture they think oh well I'm pregnant now so this is a license to eat all of the junk food that I wouldn't let myself eat before because now I'm I'm gonna get fat anyway so I might as well enjoy this Hmm. Hmm. instead of really looking at well what is what does my body need for optimal health for a optimal pregnancy for an optimal birth for an optimal postpartum experience and to provide the building blocks for this baby to be built on real food as nature provided it rather than, Mm. you know, what our culture puts out as food, which is really actually just food products, Mm. uh, not actual food, the way our bodies have evolved to recognize food. So Mm. it's first, you know, getting that do, do we have that distinction of food versus food product? Can you highlight, um, yeah, can you highlight foods that would be nourishing that are must-haves in that immediate postpartum? Yeah, for sure. The two things that are the most important are protein and fat. So your um, protein is what actually rebuilds tissues. So mm-hmm. you know, you you open up, you give birth, and everything has to um, go back to the way it was, and that's a rebuilding process. So you need the protein to do that. <clears throat> It also is important to have optimal protein. Like, say, for example, if you um, had a cesarean section and you now you need to recover from that experience. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a rebuilding, um, a healing process. So, you know, no matter what kind of birth you end up having, having, you do need that extra nourishment to bring yourself back into preferably a higher state of health than, mm-hmm. you know, you had before, right? Like in Ayurvedic um, medicine, the belief system is that if a woman, when she gives birth and she gets all this nourishing postpartum, the 42 day window where she has, 
people bringing her food and all she does is she focuses on connecting to her baby and, and building that bond and the community is doing the cooking and the community is doing the cleaning and she gets those massages that actually every time she has a baby and gives birth, she actually gets younger and more rejuvenated. However, mm. if the woman doesn't get that, every time she gives birth, she goes down a degenerative path. And what's really interesting about this is they actually do have research that shows that if you look at the um, progression of degenerative diseases in uh, men and women, and then versus women that have had children versus women who haven't, women who have had children are the ones that are, have the most degenerative diseases over, over men and women who have never given birth, mm. which is very sad, right? Mm. That, you know, we because give over- we're losing, because we're losing precious resources, minerals, yes. vitamins. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. We're not getting that rebuilding that we should get. Mm. And we're not so that, and then on a spiritual level, we're not getting that promise. Like if you, you know, give of yourself in this way, Mm-hmm. that you can actually be rejuvenated through the process. Mm. And that's an unfortunate um, thing. And it's, you know, something that our, we have to keep working on in this world, right? Like we have so to get away from others to get that. I'm thinking about some of the Chinese medicine and the notion of chi and that when we give birth, it's mm. one of the experiences in which we lose a tremendous amount of chi yeah. And so that immediate postpartum period is um, intended to rebuild um, the mm. chi. Yeah. And, and, and chi can. Question. Oh, sorry. Right. Ahead. Yeah. And so I also kind of the image I also have is that it's connected to our blood. I don't mm. know if I'm yeah. accurate with that. And, and, and so I'm wondering around like nourishing foods or nourishing. I, I don't know if you work so much with herbs, but nourishment yeah. that would reduce rejuvenate and revitalize um, the chi, the life force, the blood. Right. Okay. So just to start with that little energetic piece about the moxie brushing, since you brought up mm-hmm. Chinese medicine, um, that is a great place to start to just literally go and get a smokeless little stick from a Chinese medicine store. Mm-hmm. And you can just do circles over your abdomen to, on an energetic level, be closing up that center. Hmm. Um, because it will, it can remain open and then you're just losing the energy in that way. So what I find is interesting is I thought of it originally as a ritual. Like I just believed that it was, you know, we're just doing this as a ritual. We're like, you know, closing, you know, the birth is done. (laughs) We're moving on Mm -hmm. now. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but my experience with women and my own experience of it is women would feel actual physical sensations in that Mm -hmm. area. Mm-hmm. whether it was like a sucking feeling, um, you know, energy coming up through their feet. So then for, from that experience, I actually believe it's, it's real. And, you know, just even now from all this, the, the years of studying, uh, you know, work like Joe Dispenza, for example, and mm-hmm. the, the chakra work that mm-hmm. these are real energy centers, right? Mm-hmm. They're it, measurable now. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as building the blood, you want minerals, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you, you want to go for things that are high in minerals. So that number one would be meat. And then you also, the beauty of meat is that you get your um, saturated fats and cholesterol, which you need. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, and you also need your minerals you get from meat mm-hmm. and you get your um, protein. So ideally, um, a rebuilding diet for a woman after birth is to be having um, animal foods, Hmm. in particular meat. 
And the reason why that's also um, great is because it is super easy to digest when the, di- um, the digestive uh, power is weak, hmm. right? In this, after the birth, one of the things that can be um, trouble for women is not having enough warmth. And when you don't have enough warmth, you also don't have enough digestive fire. And a lot of times people think that it's easier to digest vegetables vegetarian diet, and it's just not the case. The only vegetables that are easy to digest are non-starchy vegetables. And um, as far as, because uh, one of the things that I did, my background was working with people with digestive issues. When I first started as a holistic nutritionist, that's pretty much all I worked with. Mm-hmm. And I rarely would ever I can't actually even think of, I, a couple times I could think of somebody who had any issue with animal foods and it was really due to their gallbladder needing support, but the, the vegetable um, foods, the carbohydrates that people would struggle with digestive wise, most people ha- can digest um, protein easier than starchy carbs. And so what do you say now to the vegetarians who are listening? Well, you know, it's one of, I used to be a vegetarian, so I understand it completely. Uh, However, I really feel like sometimes we just have to make a different decision based on a different situation that we have in our life. So when you're, you know, in your twenties and you haven't had babies yet, you it's, you know, it's fine. I was a vegetarian at that time too, but to be honest with you, after becoming a vegetarian, this is becoming a whole foods vegetarian. That very first year I went to the dentist and had nine cavities after. Um, and that's a sign of not getting enough minerals. Hmm. So that, and also it could be a sign of too much acidity, right? Cause all these grains are super acidic. Hmm. We think of things as like, oh, it's all like meats acidic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, any, there's nothing wrong with foods on the acid side of the spectrum versus the alkaline foods. It's, you know, what do you need what for? So, mm-hmm. you know, you want to actually have a balance of acid alkaline foods. And, you know, sometimes you need to have more alkaline foods, say, for example, if you have an autoimmune disease or something like that, and you need to alkalize your body. But ultimately, you're trying to come back to the balance, a state of health. And so not mm. one is not better than the other. Um, and so but- would it be helpful, you know, if a vegetarian wasn't ready yet to consume animal products um, like meat, and maybe they would be open to bone broth. Would you recommend something like bone broth? Or do you, do you suggest that to, to, to rebuild and to get those minerals, it's really important to have meat? Um, I would say that it would be beneficial definitely to have bone broth, although it's not high in minerals. It's high in your good quality fats and your um, collagen and gelatin, which are you know, really good for your joints and for healing the gut and all that. And that's really beneficial when your digestive fire is low. Hmm. Um, but what I would suggest is if like, first of all, I would suggest just considering that maybe this might be a time where I need to rebuild and I can use this animal food as medicine. doesn't mm. mean I have to be, you know, um, meat eater for the rest of my life, but just right now I need to rejuvenate mm. okay. and consider that, you know, people don't have the same um, nutrition needs for their entire life. What works for one person at one point of their life isn't going to work at another time because the environment has changed or something has changed inside of them. Maybe a person has gone through extreme stress and their nervous system is, you know, whacked out and they're now they have digestive problems and they can't digest the foods they could digest before. Right. So Hmm. everything is, you know, should be customized to that person's unique situation. And if what you're doing isn't working, 
then you have to consider that maybe you need something different, even if it's for a certain time period. And I'm not against vegetarianism, like, as a thing. Um, I know there's lots of women that are, you know, in their 60s, 70s that are raw foodists, and they thrive mm-hmm. on fully vegetarian food, and it shows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but doesn't necessarily mean that that's right for a woman who's in the childbearing experience. Which brings now, up, I'm, I keep yeah. interrupting you. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I know that we could probably talk for hours and hours and hours. And so there's a few things that are coming to my mind in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, what I would imagine a mom would want to hear right now. And so, yeah. yes, one is for sure these nourishing foods that could be rebuilding um, their their physical um, body stuff. And then I'm thinking about hormones because this is a mm-hmm. big one in the postpartum yeah um and I guess so how would we nourish the hormones and then just as an aside so you know that I'm thinking of these things yeah um you know stuff around breastfeeding are there any foods that would be nourishing specifically to help with milk production and then issues such as colic Okay. And how food plays into that. So those are my questions. Okay. Okay. So just bring me back if I don't, mm-hmm. if I don't get straight to them. Okay. So um, just to finish up on this other thing, like, so if you're not going to reconsider it, you just know you need some minerals, mm-hmm. seeds, and greens. Mm-hmm. Now the seeds have to be soaked because there's phytic acid in the seeds and that is, stops mineral absorption. So they have to be soaked and then dehydrated in a dehydrator or in the oven to being crispy again, you just put them on the lowest temperature and then you'll be able to absorb all the nutrition from the, um, from the seeds and the nuts, mm. um, and the greens, um, mm. cooked, not raw. Okay. Cause there's these anti-nutrients in plants that make it difficult for people to digest. And again, at this time, postpartum, our digestion tends to be weaker. Mm. So you want to make sure what you eat is, um, warm and warming of your body. So cooked is definitely better. Um, seaweeds are another good source of minerals that are vegetarian. So we've got those three things there. As long as, you know, if your digestion is really great, uh, you may be able to get all you need from that and not have to add the animal foods. Consider adding fish if, you know, that was something that you could get for the protein aspect for easy to, to digest protein. Now, hormones are built on, um, our sex hormones are built on saturated fat and cholesterol. And so this is another reason why it's really difficult to get completely away from animal foods because, yeah, we can get saturated fat from coconut oil, but we can't get cholesterol from uh, vegetarian foods. Hmm. And a lot of women have gone through, you know, years and years and years of going on these low-fat diets. So even if you're not a vegetarian, this is important to hear how important it is to include foods that have saturated fat in them instead of avoiding the saturated fat. If we don't have the building blocks for those hormones, then we're not going to optimally express them. So we're not going to have that high of amounts of them. We're going to have lower amounts, which means our physiology isn't going to function optimally. So the building blocks of hormones, we have got the saturated fat, the protein, and the cholesterol together, which is that's why the animal food just makes it, you know, a a source of all those Mm. things together. Your body can manufacture cholesterol. It's not a problem. If you didn't eat a, you know, a dime or a drop of cholesterol from today moving forward, you would still manufacture it because your body can make it. So it's not like vegetarians don't have cholesterol. It's just that they have to use their other vitamins and minerals and other um, nutrient resources in their body to manufacture cholesterol. 
which means those nutrients are being taken away from other things. So it's just a kind of like a safeguard almost to include some animal foods um, in your diet just to make it easier, right? Like an egg, for example, would be a great thing. You don't have to be, if you're a vegetarian, you eat eggs. You know, if you have your grass-fed butter, your um, grass-fed kefir, and your pastured eggs, you're going to get the vitamin A, the vitamin D, all excellent for hormones, that vitamin A, especially for thyroid. Um, and then, of course, you've got, um, you know, the protein that's in the egg as well. That's very excellent for um, the rebuilding process. And as long as you don't have like a food sensitivity to eggs, most people digest them really well. And so why do you think, in your opinion and your research, um, we suffer in the postpartum hormonally? Like, why do you think that there is this epidemic of uh, thyroid challenges? Well, I actually think it stems from the stress, from Mm. the experience of giving, like building a baby with not having that proper nourishing, nourishment on the physical and the soul level, right? So if you're not getting the raw materials for your endocrine system, which is what your thyroid is a part of your endocrine system, if you're not getting the nutrients, then the, the system is going to suffer. So people don't generally just have like one hormone out of balance, right? Like they're all out of balance. It's just that one is going to be showing more out of balance and showing more symptoms. And the stress of a woman going through the pregnancy experience, so there's a stress on her body. Mm-hmm. Then she has a birthing experience that is traumatic, which is very common in this culture. Mm-hmm. There's another stress. Mm-hmm. Then she gets abandoned in the postpartum to being alone and not getting the proper care that she would get if she was in, you know, a different culture mm-hmm. and not just that, that soul kind of connection and community, but also the physical nourishment, mm-hmm. being in North America, living on a North American diet, it's not even real food. It's a literal recipe for postpartum depression. I'm surprised every mm-hmm. woman in North America doesn't have postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that, you know, um, saves a lot of women is having, even if they're not having the best diet is having that actual physiological birth experience that's uninterrupted where you get to actually express the fullness of your hormones and have your oxytocin peak. That's, mm-hmm. you know, goes a long way for, um, you know, feeling good in the postpartum. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all those things together make it a huge stress and what Mm -hmm. throws off, um, stress, chronic stress, because it's acute in the moment, but Mm -hmm. now it's becoming chronic, the whole becoming a mother. Now it's a chronic stress through everything that I just talked about. And taking into consideration that most likely there's already accumulation of stress. So they're already exactly majority of people today are already in a survival response, like a chronic survival response. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then we got the relationship stress, right? Like Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. I can think of right now, um, an experience of um, doing postpartum work for a woman who could not get her partner to commit to holding her baby for one hour so she could get her moxibustion and massage. Like this is the kind of thing that pisses me off so much. And this is going on everywhere. A woman cannot ask for one hour of help from her partner. Like this now is going to be a chronic stress forever. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're with somebody that's not supporting you, mm-hmm. that's a chronic stress. And what happens is we basically start producing um, too much cortisol. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, an, an imbalance in our adrenals start to get weakened, right? And plus you, you put that with the lack of nutrition and then... Um, our thyroid response to that, 
So it's kind of like, well, if you won't slow yourself down, okay, because how many women get home from the hospital and their family's over two days mm-hmm. later expecting mm-hmm. them to cook meal mm-hmm. while they hold the baby? I, I was one of those. Yeah. yeah. After my first. <laughs> I know. It's and then I crashed. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So then the body goes, well, if you won't slow down on the outside, I'll just slow you down on the inside. You're not going to have much energy to do anything but at least, you know, you're going to not take on more. Mm. So usually when people have a thyroid, thyroid symptoms is actually started from the chronic stress. Which there is was- exactly what I talk about in my video series on my website. Nice. And I just call it a toxic stress load. So um, I speak about trauma as a toxic stress load. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this and, is just and- another one of those expressions in which it deteriorates function of our thyroid. Yes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And then that leads to problems with carbohydrate metabolism. And then women end up overweight and exhausted Mm -hmm. and unable to handle stress like they used to be able to. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that this is why a lot of women can't lose that last, you know, they, they have the baby and then they don't, maybe they gain 50 pounds and they can only lose 30. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I believe it's so common in this culture. Hmm. And, and, and what you're linking that to is uh, an increase of cortisol, too mm-hmm. much stress yeah. during what I say is a normal stressful event, yeah. like pregnancy in and of itself is stressful. Yes. Um, but what we're talking about here are all of the additional stressors that can be accumulated in the system. And yeah. then it starts to wreak havoc on the system. It starts to kind of pull things out of balance. Yeah, there's only so much resources that we have on our own. That's and right. They start to get de- too far depleted from all of this this stuff piling on top so, of each other. So a mom could be nourishing herself in the postpartum with these foods that you're talking about, uh, yeah. but then if 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 there is a lack of nourishment in these other areas of their life, yeah you know, then of course the system can remain out of balance. So food in and of itself is often just not enough. It's not enough for optimal health expression. Maybe the person's not going to go down the tubes into like full on postpartum psychosis because they've actually, you know, dealt with their, um, their food basis, right? Maybe they're just a little depressed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can, you know, it can prevent you from really down going in a big downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you take away all the sources of nourishment, then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, it, like I said, I'm not, I'm surprised that not every single woman would identify as having, um, postpartum depression to some degree, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just because of all of the things that, you know, we're exposed to and all of the things that we, we should have experience with, but don't get as the result of living in North American society where everyone is, living instead of living in tribes or living close to your family you are living in isolation in a little box somewhere Mm -hmm. um and maybe your closest friend lives 20 or 40 minutes away and has to get into a car to come and see you Mm -hmm. with a newborn yeah (laughs) which is which we know is not always easy no no so yeah it's like when we're talking about nourishment and postpartum and actually everything every disease you think about there is not just a physical component to it, there is a psycho-spiritual component to it and, and some sort of acute stress, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, 
there's so many different factors that come into play. If you want to truly heal yourself and transform through the process, then you have to address all of them simultaneously. And that actually is one of the opportunities of giving birth as a woman is to literally transform yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you, and you know, like all, all of us that have given birth, if there's like the mindset before having babies and the mindset after, right? Mm-hmm. Like I noticed this, like from, you know, being focused on myself to giving birth to a child and now thinking, oh my God, I need to change the world because I could suddenly, I could see all the things that were not right about the world that needed to be changed for my children and my grandchildren and so on, right? Mm -hmm. Like that birthing process, it like opens us up, but it also make like opens us up to an opportunity for transformation, but it also makes us very vulnerable and we can Mm -hmm. shut down too. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's bring the conversation to the other two questions. And the one was, are there any um, nourishing foods that you'd recommend for milk production and breastfeeding and also any nourishment that you'd recommend um, if a mom is experiencing challenges with a colicky baby? Okay. Um, So the milk, basically the quality of the milk is going to be affected by how much nutrition the mother is absorbing. So if a mother is eating already eating a nutrient dense whole food diet and she's having problems with her milk supply, then she likely has a digestive issue. And then she needs to work on improving her ability to absorb nutrition. I'll give you an example of this. I had a a woman, actually this woman uh, gives her her, uh, experience is a great um, story to tie all of this stuff in. Um, But she had uh, a baby with very extreme eczema and the, I put her on a diet that probably most nutritionists would not put their client on uh, because it seems so restrictive at a time when you're you know, supposed to be building uh, your body. But the situation was so dire. The baby's eczema looked like he was a burn victim. It was like from head to toe. And so, you know, mm-hmm. when something is extreme, you have to do, if you want to deal with something extreme, you have to do something extreme, right? You can't be moderate all the time. Mm-hmm. And so we put her on a diet that um, by most people's standards would be not a lot of food, right? Just like some meat and some non-starchy vegetables. And she actually, her milk supply got more while she was doing this because she was improving her ability to assimilate the nutrition from the food. So that improved her, her, her blood, right? Now her blood is more nourished and blood becomes milk. Mm-hmm. So if there's something going on with the uh, milk supply and it's not emotional, then it's likely due to not, either not eating nutrient-dense foods or not digesting those nutrient-dense foods properly. How much of milk supply has to do with liquids? Um, you know, I think that would, would definitely be of benefit. Um, for myself, it's hard to say because I actually am not somebody who drinks a ton of water and I didn't have trouble um, with milk supply because of that, but everybody's uh, physiology is different, right? Like some people just need a lot more um, nourishment in that area, like more um, water than others. And it needs to be absorbable water. But I do remember when I was nursing, I'd always sit down with a glass of water. That would actually, you know, sort of rem- remind me that I was thirsty. It's like, oh, I need more water because I'm breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. So definitely if your, your body will tell you if you need to drink more water. Mm-hmm. But as far as the like, the quality of the milk and like, it does the baby feel satiated, it's going to come down to 
the, what the mother is eating, because that, you know, it's basically what happens is you absorb food and it goes, um, you know, into your liver and your liver puts the vitamins and minerals where they need to go. It's mm. like, they're, you know, the master of the body mm. and it is going to be first prioritizing the baby over the mother, which is another reason why women suffer a lot during this time, because if they aren't eating that healthy, then the food is going to be, or the nutrition is going to be going to the baby uh, before the mother and postpartum women actually need more nutrition than pregnant women. And mm-hmm. unfortunately that's when we kind of, and I was guilty of this as well. I was less conscious of it postpartum um, than I was while I was pregnant, right? Cause the baby's still invisible and you have that motivation, right? To, to mm. keep doing the right thing. And when the baby's out, you're like, Oh, the baby's fine. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. So definitely um, the, the liquid is important, um, but the, the quality of what you're eating would mm-hmm. be more important. Which then brings me to that next question, because so many moms who've experienced colicky or even just fussy babies, including myself, you know, would immediately think, what is it that I'm eating that's causing my baby to respond this way? And then we go through those elimination diets, which are really stressful. So now we're adding stress to an already stressful situation. Yeah. how, How true is that? It's very true. Okay. Um, actually, I went through um, that myself. My daughter, Jasmine, had um, colic where she screamed from 10 till 2 a.m. Mm. every single night. She did that for the first six months. And I don't know, I think it was something about the fact that I, it was my last baby. <laughs> well, I <laughs> believed it was going to be my last baby. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to be zen about this. And I, I just literally like held her and I, and I, you know, bounced her for like four hours every night and just accepted that reality. Hmm. I don't know what it was like, because I was already, you know, very well versed in nutrition at this point, but I think I was so mired down in my addiction to the foods probably that were bothering her that I wouldn't, I didn't even want to look at that. Hmm. I I didn't want to look at eliminating coffee. I didn't want to look at eliminating dairy. Um, and maybe even eggs could have been an issue at that time. I'm not sure. Um, however, I feel like if I could go back, um, see, this is the days that we didn't have as much knowledge about gut health as we do now. So this was, yeah, it was quite a while ago. So when, um, for example, so I had just finished my certification at the Edison Institute of Nutrition at this point, and I literally finished my certification and then gave birth to her that night. (laughs) <laughs> and at that time, people knew about probiotics, but nobody had ever, like, there was no such thing as, like, well, we knew that sauerkraut existed, but you could only get it, like, the canned version, the pasteurized version on the shelf at the grocery store. There were, you know, people didn't know about kefir. They didn't know about kombucha. They didn't know about eating cultured foods. So there was a lot that I was just, not, I did not become aware of until my son Isaiah had eczema at the age of four. So it was like even after she, actually it was around the time that she was born because she was about, I guess, yeah, it was the year she was born. She had colic and he had eczema. (laughs) I just realized Mm. that now. Mm. It's like, you know, God puts you in these situations sometimes as a a learning experience, right? So I had this thing in my head. I don't know why. It's not even logical. I, I thought that you couldn't be like, you know, a healthy whole foods hippie mama and have a colicky baby, right? Like I just thought like, you know, it's just not possible. I would have to like, you know, be putting my child in a, in a crib in another room somewhere. And that's why it's screaming or something like, I don't even know what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's weird. 
So it didn't even occur to me that I should do something about it. Like, I just mm. thought this is what I have to deal with and I'm accepting this fate, but I don't, I don't believe in that. Like, I don't, I believe that if you can do something, then take action where you have control, right? Where you have some power. Hmm. So if I could go back and do it again, first of all, I would have worked on my gut health while I was pregnant, right? Hmm. Like I would have been like eating the right foods for gut health. I would have been taking probiotics. I would have been eating cultured foods. Hmm. I would have, you know, at this point I was still eating natural sugars like maple syrup and all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be eating any of that, right? I would Hmm. have been taking care of my gut health because what happens is when you give birth, you pass on your gut flora to your child. So my child had the mix of my flora and her dad's flora Hmm. and my side of the family, there's digestive issues on my side of the family. And, um, you know, uh, I, my didn't, my symptoms didn't express as digestive symptoms, but I had pretty raging PMS, which is actually also a digestive issue. Um, and then on her dad's side of the family was dyslexia and, you know, he got things like stomach aches and stuff like that when he was a kid and reflux and all that. So she was basically just set up for having colic. Hmm. So it's the mother and the father have to work on their gut health during the prenatal time. The father is contributing his gut flora the whole, every, every time they have sex back and forth, right? Mm. The flora mm. is being exchanged and yeah, it is not fun to have to deal with it after the fact, right? Nobody likes to have to deal with it. And, you know, some, unfortunately we sometimes find ourselves in situations we've done something in the past that we are unconscious of, and unfortunately we still have to deal with it. And so for her, it was like six months in and actually I remember Wapio told me, why don't you give her or take some chamomilla? So I took some chamomilla myself. Which is homeopathy, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Yeah. And it cut her, her screaming down in half. <laughs> hmm. So, so like, just awesome. ener- ener- so energy medicine is also yeah. a good option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And chamomile in, in the herbal form is also for the stomach, right? Yeah. So it, uh, yeah, it works on the energy level. It's energy medicine. Um, but it's actually even in herbal medicine has the same effect. So that made a difference, but it didn't, you know, completely take it away. By the time she was a year old, she was still screaming every single month or sorry, every single day for an hour before bed. I think it wasn't until she was two that Hmm. she completely stopped that. And uh, yeah, it was not fun. So are there things that we can do in the postpartum that also nourish our baby's gut health? Mm-hmm. Yes. Good question. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So first of all, you have to kind of be careful about the cultured foods when you're breastfeeding, because most of them are, um, you know, made with cabbage and things like that, that cause gas. So that can make it worse. So if you're having cultured foods, it's going to have to be um, ones made with non-starchy vegetables that are not cruciferous vegetables. Um, so that would be something like zucchini, for example, or a cucumber. Um, mm tomatoes again when the problem is is that this gets complicated and it can really actually help to work with a practitioner when you have this problem because you need somebody to help you be detective because once somebody has digestive issues then they often have certain um, families of foods that bother them and so you know I just actually Mm -hmm. because as I'm talking it I'm thinking okay yeah they're not starchy but you know the tomatoes are nightshades right Mm -hmm. and the the zucchini and the cucumber high in lectins and there's all these different like food groups, they're plant chemicals, they're in the plants to protect themselves. And when you have digestive weakness, you can experience negative um, 
symptoms of inflammation from those foods. So it gets complicated. Hmm. So I'm hoping that people don't have this severe of a problem Mm -hmm. um, and can just kind of like keep it to what can you do to um, eat in a way that's easy to digest and to boost your digestive fire after the birth. So if we bring it back to that, it's probably more helpful for people because if, if it mm-hmm. really is an extreme food sensitivity mm-hmm. situation, then it needs to be really customized um, information. So things that boost your digestive fire are the fermented foods, um, but you have to, again, see where you're at with them. So you might just start with a little bit and see how you feel and see how your baby's responding. If they're not responding negatively, then that's fine. You can increase it. Um, kefir water seems to be, um, in my experience, the thing that's a cultured food that's the least reactive um, for anyone. Hmm. So that would be a great thing. And now they even sell it in stores, which is good. So you don't have to buy one bottle and consume it all in one sitting. You can buy one bottle and like have a few tablespoons a day. Right? Hmm. That's a ton of good bacteria. You get way more beneficial bacteria from um, a cultured food than you're going to get from a bottle of pills. Okay. But although and so, you, yeah, go ahead. Well, as the mom is nourishing their gut flora, it, is that being passed on to the baby? Yes. Yeah. Because her, basically that good bacteria is going all through her body, including her bloodstream. And now it's going in her breast milk. And so what about for moms who are, have either chosen not to breastfeed or can't breastfeed, how can they strengthen their baby's gut flora? Yeah, they can just go to um, the health food store and get some um, like infant probiotics and mm-hmm. they can literally put that in the formula. Hmm. Um, and uh, Dr. Natasha, she's the author of the GAPS diet. She even recommends that you can give even a newborn, if you need to, you can give mm-hmm. them a little bit of the juice of cultured vegetables. It's the, not the actual vegetable, just a little bit of the juice, like an eighth of a teaspoon. And that's like a little, and actually what it does is it kind of gets them uh, accustomed to the sour taste, which is really good because if babies can grow up on the sour taste and actually like fermented foods, that's going to be good for their, um, their taste buds and what they're willing to accept, right? Like far too many Mm. children only want processed and sweet foods. So it can help Mm -hmm. on that level. Mm -hmm. So it's adding those probiotics by eating cultured foods and every food group actually has culture, you can pretty much culture anything, right? Um, so a good resource in that is the Nourishing Traditions cookbook, has lots of different recipes in there. Um, mm. And then it's also looking at what do we not do that feeds the growth of bad bacteria, right? So processed foods, eating processed foods, that feeds the growth of bad bacteria. Um, mm. We want to um, avoid concentrated sources of sugar, which it doesn't matter if it's natural. Um, it's obviously natural sugar is better because there's more minerals in it than mm-hmm. white sugar and it's not bleach. So it's better on that level. But at the end of the day, whether it's white sugar or maple syrup, it's going to be feeding the growth of bad bacteria. So, uh, or whether it's fruit even. Mm-hmm. Now, not every person has to take it to this extreme, but if you have a health problem, then you can't be somebody like a person who is healthy does not have to be extreme about this because they don't have to act like they have a health problem. Right. Hmm. Um, and I find sometimes we get into that where it's just like, you know, this perfectionism around diet becomes sort of a, like, it's almost like people acting like, you know, if they just do one little thing wrong, they're going to be sick. And no, like in that area, when you're healthy, you can be more moderate. 
if you actually, if your baby does have colic, you're going to be, have to be more um, diligent about this. You're not going to have the leeway to be moderate if you want to get results with your child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, find out like the simplest thing to do with colic is to first of all, just take out the top things that are known to bother um, baby's digestion, right? So the dairy, the coffee, often the citrus fruit, the cruciferous vegetables, just start there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. See how it goes. And then if you then also do that, add in the probiotics, stop the sugar. You can use stevia. Um, you can have fermented sugar in the form of erythritol and monk fruit. So you can still have your sweets. Thank God, because mm-hmm. this didn't exist years ago. Like when I would mm-hmm. work with somebody who needs to get off sugar, I was like, I felt awful because I'm like, they're going to feel deprived. Now I'm not worried about that. They're not going to feel deprived because we actually have things that are natural, that are sweet, that aren't going to feed the growth of candida, which is amazing. So you, you know, you, you get out those concentrated sources of sugar, get in the fermented foods, um, take out the processed foods. And then, you know, you've got a good basis foundation to start with and make sure you're eating more cooked foods than raw foods. Cause when your digestive fire is weak, you want to warm it up. You don't want it to cool it down. And the raw fermented foods are actually, it's like the, they're pre-digested because the bacteria have pre-digested those foods. So even though they're cold or they're raw, they're totally fine to eat. They're still going to build your digestive fire. Plus they have that acidity in um, the vet, the, um, the lactic acid that is in the fermented vegetables. It helps with your digestion, like the um, HCL, like the hydrochloric acid in your stomach. So that helps mm-hmm. boost your digestive fire. Um, foods that are high in salt, like celery, for example, and greens, mm-hmm. those help as well to boost your digestion because they help contribute to making that hydrochloric acid. Also, Epsom salt baths because of the magnesium chloride, that chloride contributes to your HCL, helps with, mm-hmm. gives you a relaxing bath, gives you magnesium in your body and helps you build your digestive fire. So that's awesome for postpartum. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Do you have a resource Bible that you recommend to moms in the postpartum? Hmm. Well, I, I would say my ebook and postpartum. Um, hmm. Like I, I, well, I still consider Aviva Gillaram's, um, I think, I, I think she had one specific to the postpartum period. Uh, oh, um, yeah, she had I'm a natural trying, baby book, actually. That that's really it. Liked. I'm trying yeah. to remember the name of it, yeah. but I know it was Aviva Gillaram. Yeah, yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, I highly recommend that book for the postpartum period, like immediately after birth and kind of within that first year. And I know she had a lot of food nourishment and, and vitamin and mineral nourishment and also just... Um, like what we were talking about, more of that connection, spiritual nourishment. Yeah. And also for like the whole pregnancy kind of experience, um, what is that book by Sally Fallon? Oh, they, uh, her and Dr. Thomas Cowan created a book called The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. And that's Mm. pretty good. Although Sally has some old fashioned ideas that will trigger some people in the alternative birthing field, but you can just, you know, take what, I would say like 75% of the information in there is great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there might be some in there that you're like, Oh, <laughs> but you know, people have different opinions. It doesn't mean that just because, you know, 25% of what they believe, you don't believe it, that everything they say is wrong. There's mm-hmm. a lot of good stuff in that book. Um, 
what else? One more thing. Oh, um, there's an Ayurvedic, the Ayurvedula um, company mm. that trains the Ayurvedulas. They have some cookbooks and things like that as well. So, and, and how do you spell that? Um, Ayurvedula. Uh, it's yeah. A-Y-U-R dash doula. If you Google that, mm-hmm. you should get to one of her main sites. I think because they're a certifying body, there's a main site and then there's mm-hmm. doulas and, and I'm sure they have books and I know there's a cookbook for sure. Yeah, that would be um, great. And that would be vegetarian. So that would be an option for people that are looking for something that is made for the postpartum that's vegetarian. So uh, we're coming up to our hour and, you know, something that kept ringing in my mind as you were talking and I was just imagining, you know, moms listening to this program thinking like, I just don't have the time. And I'm wondering what you have to say to that. Mm. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't know. It's kind of like you just have to decide what your values are and make time for what's important to you. Right. Mm. It's like, you know, get that app on your phone that tells you how much time you spend on the phone and you'll realize that actually you do have time. We spend a lot mm. of time doing things that don't have a lot of value for us. And yeah, mm. I would just, I would, I would really just say like, I'm not buying that and that there is a way when there's a will. Mm. Yeah. And then gathering that community of support. Yeah, building it, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. if you're the only one in your community that understands it or knows about it, then, you know, you're going to, you, you can start a movement within your own community, right? So for like, in our experience, what we did was we started with the mother blessings, right? And then it just kind mm-hmm. of extended from there. And then at the mother blessings, people would bring food and some would be for the potluck for the mother blessing and the rest of the food would be put in the freezer for mm-hmm. the postpartum family. Right. Um, And then, you know, maybe having like a cooking day before the birth where you, you know, have a friend over and you just make a whole bunch of food together. That's um, one thing I had done for my my first birth. Mm. And it makes it more fun. Right. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. we probably have the feeling that we don't have enough time because we don't actually have the connection over things. So we don't feel like doing them. Mm. Right. Like, right. Going back to the conversation about isolation. Yeah. We don't, sure, we, we, yeah, we have the time to cook. We just don't feel like it because no mm-hmm. one's helping us, you know. <laughs> Maybe we haven't learned how to cook yet, right? There's, you know, there's so many mm-hmm. elements to it, but you kind of just have to, like, isolate, well, what are the obstacles and then face well, them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just maybe to bring this to our final close closing on this notion that the postpartum is the period of receptivity. It's the time to receive. Mm. And, you know, when we think about how much we've given as a pregnant person, how much we've given during labor and delivery, you know, I had a, I had a woman um, client once say to me, this whole experience has, you know, been, um, like a surrender, an act of Mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so if we consider all that we sacrifice in terms of our body, our minerals, our blood, our comfort, our psyches, our hormones, right? Mm -hmm. We're sacrificing so much as we build these beings inside of our bodies. Yeah. And, you know, and then we sacrifice 
our bodies as we give birth. And then now all of a sudden we move into this postpartum period and like, where on earth did it, did it ever occur to us that we are not allowed to receive? Mm. Right. When Mm -hmm. you think about it, Mm -hmm. we have literally given our bone, our blood, our being. Yeah. And now we're not allowed to lay down for even one bloody week. Yeah. Like we're not allowed to have people come to our home and nourish us. We're not allowed to stop. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's because some it, and, and that imprint is so deep in our culture. It's deep in those of us who are giving birth, you know, just how hard was it for me to receive a a meal being cooked for me Mm. because somehow I should be doing it because right. somehow I'm not allowed to be lazy. Right. Yeah. You got to prove yourself. <laughs> right. And yeah. so this notion of nourishing and nourishing through food in the postpartum really is also about receptivity. It's about receiving. Mm-hmm. It's about saying, I need to do this to replenish because mm-hmm. I'm worthy of it. Exactly. It's so big. Yeah, I know. It's and it and it and it extends into beyond the postpartum, like just as mothers, right? Like why why do we often not think we're worth it? Right? Like exactly. How many years I would get up in the morning and I'd make my kids breakfast and make their lunch and then I would just have a coffee. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's there's something deeper there. That's right. That we we go through. It's like we martyr ourselves <laughs> instead of actually, you know, valuing ourselves and telling ourselves like, oh, I'm worth this hour that it's going to take to pre-prep some foods so that I am going to feel nourished. Like I'm going to take the time out for me. I I would Mm -hmm. love it if every person didn't even have to say that because their family and community would come together and do it for them. That's what I would Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) honestly. Well, let's hold that vision. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Let's hold that vision and and let's, you know, understand that there is a deep imprint at play here. Yes. Culturally, um, that we are experiencing individually, but it's a collective imprint. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think what we can do is in the pregnancy period, that's where we mm -hmm. can, we can say, okay, I'm going to get prepared for postpartum. I'm not just going to like find myself there. Mm-hmm. and see what happens. But I, now that I've like anybody who's listened to this um, and they're pregnant, now they've had an opportunity to understand what women typically in this culture go through and now have the opportunity to go, well, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to be starving after I give birth and just eating fruit for mm-hmm. eight hours <laughs> mm-hmm. every single day. Um, I'm going to you know, do some food pre-prep mm-hmm. for myself. With a community of people. Preferably with a community of people. <laughs> with my friends. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Invite those friends over. <laughs> so I, I do have to cut us off because um, I'm running out of time. Yeah, no worries. But, you know, I want to thank, thank you, Sherry, for having this conversation with me and, yeah. you know, sharing it with our listeners and giving them some tangible um, ideas in terms of things that they can do. Um, and then also, obviously, we could have a whole other conversation about the the deeper mythos, I would say, mm. <laughs> you know, in our culture as it pertains to the postpartum period. Yeah, for sure. I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me to speak on it.
Yeah, thank you. And we'll put those resources in the bio where people can click on that link to grab that, um, to grab that nourishing, the postpartum period book that you wrote. Yeah, sounds good. And I'll give you a couple more links to some good, quick, consumable articles that will help as well. Wonderful. So I just want to say thank you to the listeners for joining in on today's podcast. And again, this is Jennifer Sommerfeld from Healing After Birth, author and creator of the program. And you can find my book either on Amazon or on my website at jennifersommerfeld.com. So all the best.